I won't say I'm frugal. Some of my friends call me frugal because like I refuse to buy the $9 bottle of water at the hotel. Like it's just <laughs> something in me. I could be parched. I could be thirsty. We could just come in from drinking a whole bottle of wine. To. And I'm like, I just, out of principle, I cannot give the hotel $9. Welcome to Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk. And this is season three of Needing Dough. On this show, uninterrupted CEO Maverick Carter sits down with championship-level athletes and they discuss how they learn to manage the life-changing amounts of money that becoming a pro athlete can provide. All right, as a former NFL player myself and Columbia Business School graduate, I'm here to bring my personal perspective on how this knowledge translates to you and your life. Before we begin this discussion, featuring pro basketball legend Candace Parker, This show is brought to you by Uninterrupted and Chase. Make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. It's free, it helps others find the show, and it notifies you every time we drop a new episode. Today, our guest is all-star, champion, and Olympic medalist Candace Parker. Candace is one of the most talented players the WNBA has ever seen. She's earned two WNBA MVPs, a Finals MVP, an All-Star MVP, Rookie of the Year Award, a WNBA Championship, and two Olympic gold medals. Beyond her accolades on the court, Candace is one of the most resilient pro athletes of any sport and has made her mark by knowing how to bounce back. So without further ado, let's check out this incredible conversation between Maverick and Candace Parker. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. The, the, the crazy thing is you are like the epitome of what this show is about, what we do and talk about being more than an athlete. And I think it's a little bit because female professional athletes actually have to be, they ha- you have to be, you kind of have no choice. But you've been that way since college, right? Thinking about more than just being as great as you are, a legend, you've always been thinking about more than just being a basketball player. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, just always taking care of right now, but being conscious of what's next yep. and, you know, how you prepare yourself for the next step. I mean, as athletes, you know, we always are AAU, then it's college, then you're trying to go professional, then it's overseas for women's basketball. And so I kind of look at that as, you know, if you're being more than an athlete, you got to have that same preparation. Absolutely. And when you, you grew up in Naperville, right? Right mm-hmm. outside of Chicago. What was Naperville like? Give me a feel for it. What's... So I understand what well, it's like. Well, honestly, so I was born in St. Louis. And then oh, I didn't know that. Shortly, yeah, so I was like part of the St. Ludatics. And <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was with the Chingy, Air Force all and the Air Chingy Force Ones, all that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But we moved really early, so I, I claim St. Louis, but I'm not from there. Uh, but Naperville is, was rated, when I was there, one of the top two places in the country to raise kids. Wow. And so I was very fortunate to live in a community that had a great school, great public school system, sports activities um you know both my parents my my two brothers we all you know had a had a great great time in naperville yeah yeah you're one of three obviously i know one of your brothers pretty well anthony it's pretty incredible to have two kids who play professional basketball and but growing up did you always want to be a pro basketball player is that what you wanted to do you know, I really loved soccer growing up. Really? I was like the biggest. So I was center mid and forward. Wow. And, you could um, play the ball in the air, I bet. It was amazing because I think with soccer, it's just an excitement on the court to be able, or on the field, to be able to just have the footwork to do that. And, you know, it was right when the World Cup women's team with Mia Hamm. Oh, yeah. I mean, Everyone who didn't want to be like yeah. Mia Hamm? And so that's kind of what I was my passion. And my brothers were so good at basketball that I kind of wanted my own thing. Yeah, you wanted. I was like, like let me go. Yeah, yeah, let me do my thing. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not. You don't want to. I don't want to compete with them. I'm gonna do my own. Thing. Exactly. Like I'm gonna be try to be great over here. Exactly. And then I just got bit with the bug in seventh grade, and it was kind of like every footwork that you did in soccer, it was so much easier to do it with your hands, you know, because it's the same footwork and in and out with soccer is just the balls in your hand. And so, you know, fortunately my parents were, were there to help me, to coach me, my brothers as well. And, you know, I just fell in love with and basketball. Gro- growing up, what did your parents do for a living? So my dad worked in insurance for years and my mom like stayed a sales at home. Guy? Yeah, stayed at home with us. And so uh, we had a good situation and, um, 
you know, obviously I'm 11 years younger than my oldest brother. And Anthony, he went pro. Anthony's in the middle? Anthony's the oldest. Oh, he's the oldest. Yeah, Anthony's the oldest. And then Marcus is in the middle. And so, you know, it was kind of funny because, you know, you talked about Anthony played professional basketball for all those years. My middle brother's a doctor. Wow. And it's hilarious because people walk up and they're like, what happened to you? <laughs> it's like, dude, he's a doctor. doctor like, yeah. what, are you, exactly. what are you talking about? And so it's just kind of like our parents really pushed us to do what we're passionate about. And us too, we loved basketball. And him, in high school, he decided he, that's what he wanted, wanted to, to do. Wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Your parents are incredible people. Um, I had the fortune, obviously, to meet your mom. And, you know, on this show, we created this show to have this discussion because I've always thought about that when people report on athletes going broke, it's like, yep. it's it's a bit lazy to me. It's lazy journalism and it's more so clickbait. It's like very cool to write an article about some athlete who spent half a million bucks on this car and this house and now they have no money. But the truth is no one had ever had a discussion with athletes about how as a pro athlete, your life is upside down to like an executive or a normal working person because you're the best at your job and Early. and get paid the most when you're younger. Yep. When most people are better at their job and get paid later. more later. Like your brother is a doctor. Every year he it's becomes coming. a better doctor. So in theory, when he's older and making the most money, he'll be the best at his job. Your life is the and Andrew's life is the other way around. But as a kid, did your parents, did you guys talk about money and discuss what it was like to save money or invest money or things like that in the house? You know, as kids, I will say, we had discussions when my brother went pro. Like, yeah. when my brother got to the NBA, um, and like anybody else, I think, you know, who didn't want to drive around the rich neighborhood yeah, when my course. brother met? You know, when my brother first got drafted, that's like the first thing we did, is we got <laughs> in our car, and we drove around the rich neighborhood, and we were like, we're gonna, this is where we're gonna be one day. Like, all of us, I remember saying that. So we had discussions about money, but I think when we really talked about it was when my brother got drafted and a lot was thrown at him, you know, and it changed for our, you know, for our family and the way that we looked at success and how we could pursue life and money and be great at something. And I think that that's kind of when it changed. And do you remember, now you're 11 years younger than him. Mm -hmm. So you were not a little kid, but a youngster when he went pro. Do you remember him struggling with anything or trying to like deal with it? Because at that time, I'm sure he's like, I just want to play basketball and make the team and be great and do great things. But you're forced as a pro. You have to deal with a lot of other things at a young age. You know, I'm so much younger than him that I think is when, when I became 18, 17, 18 is when he started having conversations with me about money. Yep. And, um, you know, his route for being a professional athlete it was a little different. He got drafted, played three years in the NBA, then went overseas, and then came back and kind yeah. of had another career. I mean, yeah. he played with LeBron in, in Cleveland, started in Toronto with CB, so his career was a little, you know, left it, and right it turn. a bit, yeah. And so it's kind of that discussion of like, you don't know where your check's gonna come from tomorrow as a professional athlete. Yep. You could get hurt or something like that, and so he always emphasized just making sure you take care of your money. And as you said, you really started hooping late. You didn't, I mean, for most hoopers, even myself who played college, you start six years old, I started mm -hmm. playing. You didn't start playing until the eighth grade, but then you quickly became, you know, really incredible. And then you became the first woman to announce your college on ESPN. Do you remember that moment? What was Man, it like? It was, uh, it was surreal because I think up until 11 years old, um, when we'd sit down as a family and watch television, the only athletes I saw were male athletes. Of course. They it was Michael, And I grew up in Chicago area, so it was Michael Jordan. I was a Ron Harper fan. Couldn't tell me <laughs> anything about Ron Harper. I was in there DM people up. I don't play that much defense now, but I was in there DM people up and all that. But that was what I was around was male athletes. And it was like, okay, I got to go out and shoot like Chris Webber. I got to go out and try to you know, defend like Ron Harper. And then when I was 11, the WNBA started. So I had something to kind of aspire to be. Um, and so I think, like you said, I started playing late, but I knew that I wanted to be a professional basketball player. And I knew there was an option because the WNBA had started. And what made you choose Tennessee? 
Well, I feel like if I'm a doctor, I wanna, my brother went to Johns Hopkins. He went to the best medical school and I wanted to be a professional athlete. And so I wanted to play at a school that fought for women, that fought for equality. At the time we were there, we had two separate athletic departments, uh, the best coach ever to me in Pat Summit. And we had 20,000, I think my senior year, we averaged 16 or 17,000 people every wow. game and for me in college that's what i want to play in front of of course and there was just no better choice than going there and and trying to compete for national championships and did the obviously the legendary coach summit did she when she was recruiting you did she talk about you being a pro did she like you know because i've i've seen it on the men's side i've seen john calipari for instance mm -hmm. one of the tools he actually to this day uses to recruit young kids, which think about this is pretty interesting, bumped into him one day and he was on his way to like a home visit. Mm -hmm. We were in like Vegas or somewhere. And he had a book and it was like all the players since he had been in Kentucky and all the money they had earned and he had like a total at the bottom and the number was in the billions, right? Mm -hmm. Between John Wall and DeMarcus and Bledsoe. And he uses that to recruit. And I was like, I mean, he's got to use what he's got to use. I understand it, but it's a little, I was like, to walk into a kid, especially a kid who has no money and his mom, and that's the tool. Signs. Exactly, did you, did Coach Summit talk to you about, hey, after college, being a pro, what that all means when you're being recruited? We talked about it a lot, actually. And that was what- During recruiting? During recruiting, when I got to the University of Tennessee, I mean, Shamika Holesclaw kind of was women's basketball. Yep. She signed one of the biggest deals, shoe-wise, for a woman. She was yeah. with Gatorade. Um, they won three national championships while she was there. And so for her to be able to handle her, I think my parents and myself felt like Coach Summit was able to push me on the court, but also be able to be in my ear about things that I had to look, look out for off the court. And did she give you advice on like, okay, once you get to be a pro and you make money, this is what you should think about and do? And because she's obviously a legendary coach, but obviously being a coach comes with, you have to develop girls to women. You have to turn, you know, she's getting you at 18 and now you're leaving 22. So that's part of her job too. I think the biggest teacher for me is an example. Yeah. And that's what Coach Summit was. And I think that's what's so special about her is yes, when you asked her questions and you went into her office, she would tell you. But if you just looked around at her hustle and how hard she worked and she really didn't have to do anything other than coach. Yep. But she's doing speaking engagements. She, she spoke to the CIA <laughs> when, we, wow. when I was there. Um, countless fundraisers. And she would tell you guys about these things? Yes, and that's the thing, is the fact that as athletes, when we have these meetings with boosters and different events, it's relationships. So she would preach being able to have a relationship with somebody so that when something happens, if there's a business opportunity. You want your name to be the first thing that they think of. Of course. And it, you have to do that by establishing relationships, being confident in yourself. So I think she did it by an example. We talked about it a little bit, but more so just watching her. And it's interesting because to your point, you know, on some level, especially playing at the, you played at the highest level that you can play in college sports, um, across all sports. and. A lot of it is like, well, they call you student athletes, which I obviously think is bullshit, but um, you're really an athlete athlete. That's they want you to focus. You're playing in front of 20,000. You're playing for 10. You guys have to win national titles when yep. you were there. But to see the coach gets to coach and go do other things, yeah. did, you, did you take that in any kind of way and think about that and see like, wow, she can coach, be the greatest coach in the world, and go do speaking engagements and do a radio show, I'm sure, or whatever else she did that was more than just being a coach. You know, it's weird because I think from, a, from the time I started playing basketball, I've been the tallest on the court. Always. Always, I've always been the tallest. And you know, it would have been the easiest thing for me to just go stand by the basket and then throw it and me do a right hook. But you know, you realize <laughs> the older you get, the more athletic people get, the taller people get, the smaller group that's successful it gets. And so from a very young age, I was taught you have to be able to do a lot of different things well. Oh, that's great. And that's kind of what I've carried over into this kind of life. You know, it's great. Basketball has been so great to me. But you know what? 
I got to be versatile. Just like I'm on the court, I got to be off the court as well. I got to be able to establish relationships. I got to be able to maneuver a room. I got to be able to, you know, talk about business and be able to take care of my finances. And so I think that's kind of what I've learned through this entire process. And in college or as a pro or otherwise, has, has that been met with any resistance? Anyone like, you know, Candace, you're doing too much. You need to be training. You should, you're doing this, but you actually need to get back on the court and focus. You know, it's funny because I, I think um, Instagram to me, Twitter brings out people's true thoughts yeah. for me. And I think it's something that you have to look at because that's really people being authentic and who they are because they're able to say whatever they want. Yes. And so, you know, obviously the back to the kitchen references, the make a sandwich references, <laughs> there's a lot of people that think that women athletes shouldn't be out there being more than athletes. Of course. And um, I think there's some, when they get personal, I have to address it. Because Do you address going, it sometimes? If you get personal, yes. Um, but if it's a generalization, I think the thing, and I'm sorry we're going off course, but I think no, the thing... No, th that's the point of the show, okay. we just talk. I think the thing that irritates me the most is you cannot fight for equality with your own agenda. That's not equality. What do you mean? You mean so like... if, if, if I'm, and there's a lot of African-American young males that are on Instagram and their profile picture is Black Lives Matter, and then you're commenting on me that I need to get back in the kitchen doesn't work that way. You can't have equality for one. Equality is e equal. Like the word is, the word in, is yeah. in there. It's so derived you, from equal. Exactly. Yes. And so I think that's the thing that I think disappoints me and that's what makes me want to fight harder. I have a daughter, you know you have a daughter. Yep. And I don't want her to be born at a disadvantage just because she's a girl. And that's, yeah, two, so two things on that. So you have a daughter, you're raising a daughter and she's growing up much different than you did. Much different. So I read where you talk about, I liked it, I'm going to steal it, by the way, presence versus presence. And how do you view raising your daughter and do you think about how you were raised versus how she's raised and how much of what you grew up doing can you instill in her and then how much of that negativity that's in the world do you expose her to mm -hmm. and at what age? How do you go through all that? You know, that's a, it's interesting because I was on a show with you earlier and LeBron talked about how he doesn't, approve of his daughter saying, I can't. Yep. And it stuck with me because I, I think there's a lot of men out there that won't tolerate that from their son, but will be quick to aid their daughter in whatever they need help with. Mm -hmm. And that's not teaching them the life skills that we are wanting them to learn. Of course. And this world is needing them to learn. Yep. And I think it is a balance because when I went to the store, and by no means were we poor by any means, but we did not live the way that my daughter lives right of now. Course. So when we went to the store and I said, hey, can I? It was no because we can't. When I go to the store with my daughter, it's no because you just aren't gonna get that. Like and you can't she have know, everything you want. And she knows you can get it if you... If you exactly, and so yeah. I think it's just a balance of trying to teach that work ethic because a lot of it, what we're built with is that like desire to succeed. Of course. And it is a balance of trying to like give them the things that we maybe didn't have, but also still instill that work ethic and that desire to compete and that life's not easy and things like that. And so, I, you know, I'm very honest with her. We have a lot of talks and um, conversations, but I think that the world is, is gonna be better for her. I hope that that's what I'm doing right now is that she doesn't see the difference of yeah. being a little girl. And our instinct, especially, you know, in the black community and black people, we all, I always tell people black people are like, I'm from the hood. I'm like, bro, we're all pretty much from the hood. There's not many black people who aren't. Mm -hmm. So when you grow up that way and you make it to a place where you can do for your kids, mm -hmm. the natural instinct in your gut is to, oh, I'm gonna give my kid everything that I dreamed of having yep. as a kid. And to your point, that's probably not the right way to do it. No. But it's just the feeling, because it makes you feel good as a parent. Makes you feel good. But you have to balance what makes you feel good versus what makes your, what's what actually helping your kid later Exactly, on what they need. And I think it's the boundaries. It's the family time. It's the being present. It's the putting down the iPad and let's go for a walk. Like everything we do doesn't have to cost money. Yes. That's my main thing with her. Like we'll go get our dogs. We'll get a snack bag and we'll go sit at the park with my dogs and talk. And that's 
just as fun as going to Dave and Buster's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think she enjoyed, she learned how to skip rocks. I was like, you don't know how to skip rocks? Oh my gosh, I've failed as a mother. <laughs> and so we go out there and we learn how to skip rocks. It's like taking the old bread and going and feeding the ducks, like things like that, that I think we need to get back to because everything we do doesn't have to cost money. Yeah, of course. And you obviously, we talked about it on the shop. You have to balance it's just, it, something different as being a mom and a pro athlete that's a that's a balance that you have to deal with every day right because you have to work out and train and be a pro but you also know, be a mom and do the things like you just said it's interesting because i think just the stereotypes and the bias that we don't necessarily know that we're we have you know like when LeBron goes on a trip, I don't think they ever ask him, like, who's taking care of your no, kids? exactly. No, that's what <laughs> who, I'm who, Who's taking care who's of? Who's at home? Who's at home, yes. you know? Um, but for me, it's that way. And I love it. I accept it because I, I think that's the most important role that I have is being Layla's mom. Yep. But at the same time, we kind of have to change the narrative of the way people think and that it is a partnership, you know, that... You know, I am a firm believer in paternity leave. I'm a firm believer in guys having changing tables in the men's bathroom. Like, I'm a firm believer in equality on both sides and expectations. Um, but it is tough to balance uh, being a mom because I, my mom stayed at home. She was at home every day with us when we got out of school. I could talk to her. She picked me up, took me to practice. And so to not be able to do that every day with Layla, uh, it's, it's tough for me sometimes. Yeah, and do you... Like, do you, you talked about on Instagram and Twitter people giving you shit about mm -hmm. this or that and saying stupid things. As a female basketball player, do you ever face that on the road from fans, from, like, opposing fans yelling shit? A hundred percent. I was rookie of the year and MVP my rookie year. I got pregnant that year. So right after the season, I was actually pregnant with my daughter in the photo where I'm holding my MVP and rookie wow. of the year trophy. And that season, I was so afraid to tell people that I was expecting because I knew people were going to be like, oh, your career is over, you know. And um, sure enough, like I, I was pregnant. I had to forego going overseas, which is actually where we make most of our money. Of course. And, you know, I wanted to prove that you could have family and you could have a, a you know, career. career yeah. Yes, exactly. And so that next year, I rushed back to try to prove people that I, you know, I could, I'm nursing while the coach is talking it <laughs> on the board. Yeah. Like she went on every road trip with me, um, uh, because I was nursing. So I just think that, you know, we're seeing more female athletes have kids now. And I think that this is a conversation we have to have of, you know, how everybody can help because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to sacrifice my family for, for sports yeah, and vice versa. As a pro athlete, especially as a parent, being able to manage time between practice, games, business deals, and quality time with family can be overwhelming. For Candace, she creates her own boundaries in order to balance it all out. We're going to learn more about the importance of an athlete's lifestyle right after the break. You're listening to Needing Dough, the podcast. Let's continue this conversation with Maverick and Candace Parker. And as you talked about equality and we're talking about college. Obviously, again, you know, there's Title IX, which is supposed to bring equality amongst all the sports. Because we know in college, football uh, brings the most. You know, I'm a big Ohio State fan, so football brings in a ton <laughs> of money. And basketball, but then they're supposed to spread it out, and then Title IX is supposed to make it so it's even between men and women. But you went to a school where Women's basketball was at the pinnacle. I mean, football's always at the pinnacle, especially in the SEC. We played after the men yeah. during Midnight Madness. Like, the men played, and then we played. So, like, that was, to me, what sports was. Like, if you're great or you're good and you're winning championships, you're the best. So that's what should happen. Of course. Then you enter into the real world, and that's not quite, <laughs> that's not quite so the way you, it is. Even though you were at Tennessee, which is the pinnacle of college sports, did you quickly realize, wait, I'm a feet? They're making me like. You know, like it's a interesting. Because so, Title IX is supposed to alleviate I'm that. I'm about to go like way back. So I was 18. I went to prom with Dwight Howard, actually. I didn't know that. Yes. So uh, McDonald's All American, National Player of the Year. He goes straight to the NBA. 
signed a deal. You know, obviously he was drafted by Orlando, signed a shoe deal, did all the stuff. I went to college, which is great. I was, Tennessee was, but I think that's when I first realized like, oh damn, like there's a huge difference. Different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he just changed his life. Me, it's changing my life, but not in that way. Of course. And you guys are the same age. Same exact and then McDonald's you, All American year. And then when you get to Tennessee, things like the Midnight Madness thing. But you guys, because you were attracting 16, 18,000 people to the games. Mm -hmm. So people were sure, I mean, Tennessee women's basketball, we knew it was the pinnacle. But on like campus and daily life and it things, was, did you feel? I mean, it? we were the team on campus. I mean, we traveled charter, we had a masseuse, we had team, like, everything was taken care of. Um, Coach Summit ran Knoxville, so. Yeah. So you get to do it. <laughs> I mean, you didn't get to do everything because Coach had eyes everywhere. Like, Candace, why are you at the guest? And like, Coach, ding! Like, <laughs> I can't go anywhere. But that's the way it was. So, you know, Knoxville, we still go back to Knoxville. Of course. To football games and things like that. And we are still treated like she's a lady ball. Like, like she's, that's, exactly. Yeah. And talking about Dwight Howard and signing a shoe deal and his life changed, do you remember when you went into the WNBA, obviously there's a pay equity thing and you talked about a bit about you have to play overseas too. Mm -hmm. Do you actually remember when you got your first big check? So I signed with Adidas out of college and Adidas, Gatorade, and then um, my first big check was my overseas, honestly. Really? Um, after Adidas your rookie was, year. Yeah, after my rookie year. So I got pregnant, then it was the following year. Yeah. But Adidas was, was the big check. I wasn't into, I already had a car, so I was fine. Um, got a house when I first moved to LA because I wanted to make this home. And then especially got a house after because I wanted my daughter to have a, a yard and a home and grow up there. And so I think, you know, that was kind of the first thing that I did was, was, was get, a, get a place to stay. And how does that work? Like, because I know many people don't understand it, like, female basketball players play in the WNBA, mm -hmm. but you actually make more seeds if you go to Russia, make yep. more money if you go overseas to Russia or, or someplace like that. How does that work, and why is it that way? So overseas, money is more of for an owner. Like, mm -hmm. our owner was, like, the fourth richest man in Russia, and it really literally was, like, our team was a talking point. <laughs> like, we won this many championships, like, bow, you know, put it on the table. And so I think it's less of like looking at it as like a financial gain over there. And they have, we have sponsors and things like that that really put a lot into the team. Um, overseas, to be able to, to have six, 7,000 fans every night for a women's game was huge. Um, played in Ekaterinburg and it's just better. I mean, the money is just better over there. Um, and so I think initially when I first entered in the WNBA, I was like, I'm going to change that. You're going to make the WNBA. I'm going to change that. Like, I'm going to make the WNBA. Like, I'm going to get paid over here so I don't have to go overseas. And then I had my daughter, and I was like, well, I got to start making financial <laughs> decisions that are best. And it's hard to pass up that type of money. Of course. And has the WNBA changed much since you've been in it? From a pay standpoint? I mean, obviously going from rookie salary to... Of course. Um, but a lot of, the, a lot of the things for me in the WNBA is my endorsements that are tied into it. So if I didn't play in the WNBA, I wouldn't have the endorsements that I have. Yep. Um, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but yeah, it, it hasn't in terms of a huge gain. Um, our CBA, we just opted out of our CBA. We it's bet on ourselves. It's coming up, right? Yeah. We, um, this fall we'll go into talks yep. and hopefully come to an agreement because you know there's some things with revenue sharing that we understand when you're sharing a billion dollars versus when you're sharing you know a lot less yep. but when you look at our salary some of our players are making more than our team salary cap overseas wow so when you have that you kind of have to understand that it's not just about playing for the love of the game anymore. You have people that you have to take care of. You have family, so you have to do, you know, what's best for yourself. And so that's why you saw those summers, a lot of players, I sat out for half the summer, saw Diana sit out, um, Angel McCautry took time off, and you're starting to see that because people understand that's overseas is where I'm making my money. Exactly, how many, 
You, do you play overseas? You stopped, right? So I stopped. I work, I work at Turner now. Of course. But um, this was the first se season I didn't go. I played six years in Russia, one year in Istanbul, and two years in China. And since you were a rookie to now, would you have done anything different based off what you've now learned and know about overseas, WNBA, as you've navigated your pro career? You know, the best advice I got was um, before you enter into stocks, make sure you're you know, you have enough money in bonds first. You have that kind of protection. Your nest egg, yeah. Yeah, you have your nest. And I think that's kind of the same thing with me. Before I decided not to go overseas this year and focus on businesses, focus on relationships, focus on working at Turner and what's after basketball, you gotta have that cushion. Of course. And that's what overseas did for years. Give me that cushion. Give, give me that cushion to be able to maybe make great decisions that are gonna be good for me later, but financially maybe might not make as much money for me right now. Got it. And do you, obviously, you're one of the greatest players to ever play. And there's a group of you, Diana included, who now are still fighting. But you actually may not be able to reap many of the rewards because you're, you're in your 11th season now. As, the, as kind of the face of the league for so long and uh, knowing the other women who are at your level for so long, do you guys feel pressured? to actually use your platform and what you've done to help the women who are coming behind you? Because you may not get to reap all the rewards of a great C new CBA. You know what's interesting? I was on the show, Area 21, with KG. And KG said, my biggest fear is that you're going to miss that. But I was like, you know, when you're looking at these guys right now signing these $225, $250 million deals, who is to to think. Of course. It's the players that, like somebody's gotta come before of course. them to do something. And in the 80s, the NBA finals were on tape delay. Like, yeah. you know exactly, what I mean? Like, yeah. we were flying commercial. Like, yeah. I hear stories all the time at Turner with Isaiah Thomas and Kevin McHale about how they just put ice on themselves, got a beer, got on a commercial flight. Like, that's what they did. And so, for me, I like being that, you know. And honestly, I have a daughter at home and I have a niece that plays basketball, and I want, and a nephew, and I want them to have those opportunities. And if we can grow the game just a little bit to make it better for them, then, you know. And as you think about growing it in the new CBA, if there was like three things that you could change, what would you want them to be? You know, I think it's lifestyle. I think there's a certain lifestyle that you have to have as, as a professional athlete. And I know the women's soccer team is going through they're going through a lot. Going we, through I mean, a we're just lot thinking right this today in office. The pot for the Women's World Cup is $2 million. The men's is 6 USA, and obviously our women, is the number one ranked team in the world. Our men didn't even make the World Cup. Very disappointing, obviously. So they're, they're dealing with this in a major way. So for me, I think the biggest thing is, is revenue sharing. That's a, that's a conversation, because if the women are bringing in, maybe the ticket prices are less, but they're bringing in a certain amount of fans, they're selling this, you know, being able to take advantage of your likeness. I mean, you spoke about this in college, not being able to, to you know, to benefit from your like likeness. It. And that's what USA Soccer is. When you think of USA Soccer, I, I, I know maybe, I don't even know if Howard, the goalie, is still on the team. Is he he's on the men's gone. soccer team? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that was well, my like, point earlier. We know all the point. women. Like, you know all the women because their faces, they've been marketed, like they're yep. on our screen. And so, and they win, the, and they win, and <laughs> you know, America likes winners. Of course, for sure. <laughs> LA loves winners. America likes winners. For sure. That's that's the way it is. And so, I think that's the thing is like, y you see those glaring problems, and who's gonna fix them? Like, who's gonna fight that fight? And I think that's in, that's important. As as one of the greatest college female basketball players ever, and one of the greatest college basketball players ever, period. Did you feel that same feeling? Like, I've had Ben Simmons on this show, and he talked about, he, I mean, he was at LSU literally, like, 45 days or some shit. Um, that was unbelievable. Yeah, he was literally there, like, <laughs> I, I, maybe he made it two months. Yeah. Um, but he talked about when he landed there, he got off the plane, and he's walking through the airport and saw at the bookstore the number 25 jersey, and right away, at the 18, he had a feeling of, like, he didn't know what to, he didn't, he was saying he didn't know exactly what to feel, but he knew 
somebody's making something, and I know okay. that 25 is my the number I've said I'm going to wear, so that's me if people are buying this. Did you go through that feeling of like, well, if somebody's profiting here, there's 16,000 people in here off of us as a team, me, and how did that make you feel? You know, I think the narrative is a tad different now because of social media. So I think everybody's allowed to voice certain opinions and then people jump on what they think is right. So at the time, when you come from high school and you're given, I mean, Adidas sponsored my high school team, but you're given three pair of shoes. You get to Tennessee and you got 10. <laughs> like I have meal money, I pay my rent. Like I put gas in my car. Wow. I go on the road, I have a masseuse. I get fed, we go to nice restaurants, I order my ribeye, medium. Like, these are experiences that I think the narrative is a little bit different now. We were really? thankful then. At least you were we were. were very thankful. I think we were thankful. We were playing in front of, like, it was like, man, we're playing in front of 18,000 people here. Wow, like, this is, man, I'm so blessed. Like, so I think now with social media, people are able to kind of voice something that's wrong. And then people are like, huh. And then they see it, yeah. you know? I mean, so I think for me, I was, I was happy. Wow. I was happy, and I, the only time I was like, whoa, is when I graduated college and it was like, damn, I gotta go overseas. Like, like <laughs> this money is nice and it's great, but I'm gonna go over there and make, you know, 10 times as much as I'm gonna make here. Exactly, and I think also the truth is, which is, I think a good thing generally, but can be a big issue mm -hmm. is information is more yep. readily available. It's I don't remember it as a kid for sure, but like we all know like how much a CEO of a company makes, how much basketball. Play, I, I don't remember it being talked about how much Scottie Pippen and Michael made. No, at all. And we also know I know how much Ohio State football program profits every year. I know how much the Big Ten Network. They I know you can, you can look it up and see how yeah. much they pay each square every year. So the information now so now when you're looking at these numbers you're like oh we know what the cbs contract exactly. is for march madness Where so is it yep. to your point it's a bit of social media i think it's also information flow where you got when you were in college and even me i'm older than you we didn't have that much information but i think social media also does monkey see monkey like mav how many how many friends are trying to help their nba homie like you, you see what I'm saying? And they don't understand the process that it took to go into it. So I think we live in like the information is more, but also like when you see something out there on social media or you see somebody that's represented, it doesn't tell the whole story either. That's so you think point. you can just like repeat it, but you can't. And we've we found that out in so many different ways. I mean, we've known each other for quite some time. time. Yeah. And so it's just to me, I think, you know, obviously taking a chance, but taking a chance on somebody that knows what the hell they're doing. Yeah, it's you're right. It's it's a lot of to your point. Everyone sees the headline and the surface, what's on the surface, but nobody understands nope. what actually goes into that work, what you actually have to do, and they don't see all the work that goes into be, to creating that headline or what you see on the surface is, you know, someone's doing this or someone's doing that. Did you deal with that? With friends, family, anyone coming to you like, well, can I get this? Can you put me on? I'm capable of this. And no, not to your point, because what you're saying is people have saw what LeBron and us did, and they've not, and their friends are like, give me a job like that. I mean, I was with Draymond. Draymond was Draymond, like, no. Draymond, he texted me. <laughs> Draymond was like, no, you're not mad. <laughs> you know, exactly. That was my favorite line from the show. But yes, and I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of my family, my coach, my brother, everybody had told me that the older you get, the more you feel less guilty about saying no. 100%. LeBron always says he told his mom no. The first time he told his mom no, he was like, everybody else was fucked. I learned how to tell my mom no. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is over with. Mm -hmm. But that's the hardest thing because you can. It goes back to like when you go to the grocery store and I asked when I was a kid, and it was like, no, sorry. But you're saying no when you can. Yes. But you just, that's not smart. Yes. And so I think that's the hardest thing is, is like being able to balance that. But like as you get older and you get more comfortable, it's like that voice becomes stronger and stronger. Like it doesn't shake when you make decisions for yourself because you're making it 
for your family and, and for your career. And But you had to do it at a young age, right? 22, 23, was there, what was the hardest time you had to say no to somebody like, and you thought about it for days, like, damn, I didn't want to do that, but you had to set a precedent. You know, you live in LA, and although I really do think I'm, I'm a fantastic person, I think LA attracts a lot of friends <laughs> that want to come out here and they have, like, Absolutely. chances to, you they know, want to turn your house into a hotel. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... My pool's nice, so they like to, you know, chill by the pool. It's not bigger than Ye's, but it's nice. <laughs> Let me tell you this. It's better than all the ones in Naperville. <laughs> that's, there's not that's many. True. I know. There's, from there's, Ohio. There's that's, just, that's true. Yes. And it's nice weather all year round. So exactly. So being able to tell people, like, listen, this, you can't. you got to find somebody else to stay. Like, you know what I mean? So I think it's just being able to stand on your own two feet and be like, I have a family. Like, I have a career. I'm focused on stuff. It's this isn't always playtime. Exactly. And um, you know, I learned a lot from that in my ability to be to put. It's okay to put yourself first sometimes. Of course. And you've now also found a second career as a commentator, but you've always done endorsements and things. How do you, when you're making decisions about things outside of hoops, endorsements, commentating gigs, shows to go on? How do you? What prism do you put them through to figure out what you, what's, what's right for Candace and not? Okay, um, so I'm the biggest Jay-Z fan. <laughs> I love his lyrics. I think he's a phenomenal rapper. We should, one day we'll, we'll sit down and go, I think I'm the biggest fan. But oh, no, 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 we can go tit for tat. We, like, absolutely. All that. But anyway, um, over some Stagling. Absolutely, okay. I'm in. Okay. okay, let's do I'm it. I'm in. So... Basically, I love him because you talk about versatility and you talk about being able to withstand time. And he's done both of those things. Absolutely. And he's become a businessman. He hasn't, like, even in his lyrics, when he talks about how, like, you used to get checks from Billboard, now, like, are you dumb? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, you're hyped to get on Billboard, but that's really not what it's about. You're trying to be, you're trying to write the checks. You're not trying to be cashing them. Exactly. And so that's kind of where you learn, like, you don't, how can I say it? When we were dreaming as athletes, you gotta think bigger. Yep. You gotta dream bigger. And, you know, you look around you and you understand, like, the opportunities are there. And as a commentator, now you're on TV talking about basketball, not playing it, and you have to be critical of players sometimes. <laughs> you have to be, you have to give your opinion. That's we we tune in to TNT to see. Oh gosh. To hear that was the, the hardest honest thing. That's pro the hardest opinion. How hard thing. is that? The hardest thing is like because you know a lot of here's the players. thing because I am always authentic. Like I am my authentic self all the time. My friends laugh and call me brutally honest because if you want to know something, the truth, you ask me. So on TNT, it's really hard because I'm friends with a lot of these guys, and so I think that was the biggest. Shocker is the fact that when you're asked how somebody played or the biggest thing for me like when when, when magic stepped down like he's our boss too with the course, sparks. Yeah, so you're asking me questions. I'm like, I'm still cashing magic checks. Like, I don't know if I can answer this, you know, so it's just But it's your job to But it's my job and I can't lie. In to see exactly what you have to say about exactly. that. So you, you just mean? find a way to Be honest about about things and has your opinion on like what you will and won't do endorsement-wise changed from when you were young and oh you were gosh, like, 100%. I got to just make money to now? And how, how has it changed from when you were young to now? I think it's sometimes seeing yourself as a business, as a brand, and understanding that just because the check is more right now, it'll help your brand to grow bigger. I mean, you talk about investments. You talk about maybe, like, I mean, even with learning from Steph Curry with Under Armour, yep. like, Getting, <laughs> you know sure. what I mean, and it, within Under Armour, as opposed to taking a a big salary from from Nike, that was more than that. So it's yep. just things like that that you talk about information, paying attention to what's around you, and you know not necessarily just going for dollar signs, going with what makes the most sense. Well, now. yeah, it's 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 the uh, it's the oldest thing in the book. Is like when we were young and LeBron was just starting and I just started doing his job, it was always the question of like, and he's just, he had an instinct, he could do it, like short-term money over 
what you think would be better long term. But if you're betting on the long term, you have to take a real hard look in the mirror and yep. bet on yourself. Yep. And I'll never forget, it was twice for a lot of money. One time $120 million, another time a check from Reebok for $10 million. Well, LeBron made the decision that he wasn't going to take the money simply because on the other side of the money was him saying, literally, fuck that, I'm betting on myself. Yep. I, I, he always believed he was going to be LeBron, as we know him today. And if he wavered on that in any little bit, then he would have did it. But that it's always the same thing. It's like, what's good for me in the long run if, you, if I'm going to be Candace? Or do I just take this money? You always have to, you're constantly measuring that as a but business I think person. That's the greatness within the greats is you always have unwavering confidence in yourself yep. and your ability to make decisions. And I think throughout the mistakes, you're learning from them as well. You know, there's been decisions that I've made that I've looked back and been like, you know, maybe I could have played one more year or maybe I could have played a full season and I would have, you know, X in my bank account at this point in time. But you roll with it and you make the best of it. And, um, you bet on yourself, like mm -hmm. you said. Um, my daughter is 10 years old right now. Wow. And I can't keep taking her to these foreign countries overseas. It's just, it's not, it's not helping. You know what I mean? She needs to be in school. She needs to be with her friends. She needs to have activities. And so I don't know if it's a sacrifice because I think, like you said, I'm betting on myself and commentating. I'm betting on myself to be able to, you know, get build the relationships and, and have the life post-career uh, in a career post-basketball. And so I think those are all things that are scary, but I've learned just from looking around, you look at LeBron, you look at Steph, you look at what KD's doing. You bet on yourself, you usually, you're usually right. One of my favorite pro athletes to talk to about life is former Cowboys wide receiver, Des Bryant. I remember in a recent conversation, he was telling me about his decision to stick with Brand Jordan as his endorser during his football career. He said that other apparel brands would sometimes offer him three and four times the amount of compensation that he was getting in his deal, but it never even crossed his mind to consider him. The way he explained it was, he was family with Jordan, and he understood the long-term value of that. You see, with the other brands, it was strictly business and strictly transactional. So while some people around him thought he was crazy for not going to the highest bidder, Jordan tutored him and mentored him in the business of apparel. And later on, they actually partnered in with his personal apparel line, and that ended up paying more dividends than all those other offers combined. A good lesson that betting on yourself is never a gamble. You've now played 11. This is your 11th season. This is my 12th, this but it's 12th. 11 because it's like the summer. Yeah, you know. this is your 12th, and you played nine overseas, right? Mm -hmm. So how is your view from when you were first starting chains that you talk about looking at your bank account investing and saving money change? Have you changed how you think about saving money versus investing it as you've now gotten older and longer into your career? You know, I was fortunate because I had um, a brother that had gone through a similar, you know, career. Um, my ex-husband at the time, you know, he got drafted two years before me. Mm -hmm. uh, Sheldon, he came in a league and it was great because he really helped me with the financial advisor. Mm -hmm. um, I was a major, I majored in finance, and there was a class that I wasn't gonna be able to take for two semesters, so I had to switch my major. Wow. Um, but a lot of my electives, unfortunately, are finance <laughs> classes, and so I understand you know, money, but having to understand to surround yourself with people that are more knowledgeable than you are, and allows me to do what I do. And so I think for me, it was getting a base that I'm comfortable with, that I can take care of myself. And how did you come up with what that base should be? Because as a youngster, you don't know. You don't know. I mean, you know. can know all you want about finance, but you're like, what should it be? I don't know. I think you sit down with people that are more knowledgeable than you. Like, my financial advisor basically sets goals. And then for you, like, I just bought a car three years ago. Really? I was so cool with my Beamer. I loved my Beamer. What did I need to get another Beamer? Like, what did I, I was overseas. What you bought as a rookie? You bought a car as a rookie. So Shell actually bought the car for me in college. Wow. So I had it since my junior year in college, and I just got a new car three years ago. Wow. So it wasn't to me. I would rather have a house and be comfortable, and my daughter like in nice schools and things like that, than buy another car. And it was like I was here half the year anyway, and um, a bunch of people dro drove my car. So. I <laughs> I was gonna get messed up anyway. So, yeah, so I 
didn't buy a car until, you know, so it was just being able to sacrifice things. Like for me, vacation and living in a nice home are the two Those are your two things? important things. The, so Everything is vacation else, your guilty pleasure? That's vacation, me I, too, by the way. I cannot, like the hotels, res- yes. I agree. So I'm the same way. And I'll spend, I'm not a car person at all, but vacation. Vacations and my house. Like I want where I go home to every night to awesome. for myself. To be, yeah. What was the, so was the first thing you were saving for was to have that nest egg of money that you could then, then when you got there, did you feel comfortable like now I can go splurge a little bit or invest some? And has that number changed? Because as you've gotten older, you've made more. Yes. Does that, with that nest egg, and then then you had a kid, your daughter came, she's like, oh, I need a little bit more Mm -hmm. for school and all that. How did you go through that process? You know, I sat down with my financial advisor and he explained to me that when you get to a certain point, it's not stocks and bonds that are going to make your bank. You know, it's having relationships with people that have made billions. And it's sitting down and understanding how they handled their money. And how were you when you had to figure this, go through this company? You know, honestly, my ex-husband handled a lot of our finances. Got it. You know, obviously I was in all the meetings and things like that, but the day-to-day things that needed to be done, um, he handled a lot of it. So I had a huge learning curve the last four years mm-hmm. of really being heavily involved, really learning um, money market, learning my inv- like sitting down and talking and having a relationship with my invest- investors, um, and just learning. Like I think. We, we want to go for the home run, and it's not about that. It's it's about being smart and saying no. Saying no, absolutely. My my doctor once said that to me. I went for a physical. He goes, I want to prescribe you one thing. And we sat down and talked for a while, just about my life. He, like, goes with my life. So I'm going to prescribe you one thing. I said, what is it? He says, no. I said, what do you mean? He says, 99% of the time, you need to say no. I said, to what? He goes, everything. Everything. Someone wants to go to dinner, someone wants this, that, just say no. It'll make your life a lot easier and feel better. So as you've gotten all that advice and learned all that stuff, do you pass some of that advice on to others or some of the young women coming into the WNBA? Do they look at you as like a beacon of information and light in the locker room? So going back to what I said about my house and my vacation, I won't say I'm frugal. Some of my friends call me frugal because, like, I refuse to buy the $9 bottle of water at the hotel. Like, it's just <laughs> something in me. I could be parched. I could be thirsty. We could just come in from drinking a whole bottle of wine. To. And I'm like, I just, out of principle, I cannot give the hotel $9. Like, there's just, there's just certain things. Because they're gouging. That, Exactly. Like, yes. It's not $9. So there's that. But in terms of advice, um, anybody that asks, I always say that they need a financial advisor. And so I'm huge into like making those introductions, yep. um, able to answer questions. But I think for me, it's making sure my daughter understands money. Yep. And because I think some of our kids can think that it's just, we just go on a nice vacation and nothing, okay, that's just normal. Yep. But it's not. And so in doing that, I've made her more tight. Like, her piggy bank... Do you talk to her about money already? All the time. But her piggy bank won't open. So she... It's like she's play, she's running game on me. Because we go to Target. She's like, yeah, I forgot my money. I'm like, it's in a piggy bank that doesn't open. Exactly. So, of course, you, you forgot, forgot your, your money. money. You can't even get to exactly. your money. Exactly. You can't even get your money. So it's been fun for me to watch. You know, we were at dinner the other day, and one of my friends, um, her son was sitting there. And one of my friends said, you know, I'll give you $200 today or $300 next week. Like, what are the chances you're going to take? Like, say, t- teaching eight and nine-year-olds that. Uh, like, there's yeah. a chance that you might not see me next week, so I can't give you $300. Exactly. So you could take the 200 now or you could take a chance on the $300. Exactly. Like, like, those type of things, I really love that, you know, about just helping kids understand it. Yeah, exactly. And, and do you see as young women come into the WNBA and they're like navigating overseas and money and this. Do you see them struggling sometimes with trying to understand understand all of this? Well, your rookie season, I'll tell you, um, if I didn't have my brother, Adidas, and Shell, like it's tough your rookie year. You know, you don't get paid. You're, you're in college in April. You don't get paid till June 1st. Like you're on per diem. Like, it's tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think you think of yourself as this professional athlete and I'm going to have all this money, but then it's just, like, hits you in the face. Like, 
you know, you don't have money to do things like that yet. Exactly. Like we're not, <laughs> you're not signing training camp contracts. Of course. You know, ahead of the NBA season. That's not how it works. And yeah. so you understand how important overseas is and how important relationships and also, you know, endorsements and, and getting out there. And do, in the WNBA, do rookies come in, do they ask you for advice or do they just try and, do they actually sit down and say, Candace, can you help me understand this? I'm thinking about this country for overseas, this contract. Yeah, I had one of our rookies talk about um, China. But I think the main thing is, too, when you're sitting down and you're filling out your paperwork and you're talking about 401K. And taxes and all and that. And taxes. Stuff, yeah. And you're understanding that, like, all right, you make $50,000. You're not getting $50,000. No, exactly. <laughs> you are. Like, you're like, FICA, who's FICA? Like, uh, exactly. who's the world? Like, it's oh, like, my gosh, who's that? I don't even like that person. Yeah. Like, you don't even, you know what I mean? And so I think... It's understanding that you have to put into your 401k, yep. that it's a no-brainer, that you put the max in if you're capable of it. Yep. Um, so those are kind of the conversations that I've had with our rookies right now. And just in terms of overseas, making sure that you know you put, put certain things in your contract overseas because they like to you know go for loopholes over there. So what was the hardest, as a young WNBA player, what was the hardest lesson for you to grab? Because you were not just as young People always just see the basketball part, but they don't see all the off-the-court things that you have to deal with as a youngster of taxes, investments, saving that nest egg, what that meant to, to ensure that later you could live the same lifestyle. What was the hardest part of that financial burden that you had to grasp, whether it was as a youngster or as, as you said later, because Shell handled a lot mm -hmm. of your, your ex-husband handled a lot of it. You know, a lot of what was hard for me to grasp was like after year three, when I had signed all these contracts and had made all this money, but then you look in the bank and it's not because you got agent fees. Oh, yeah. You got, you know, obviously marketing fees. You got, you know, taxes. You're putting in for your 401k. So it was like, but I made this, so I should have how, how, how do I this not? much this is more. Off. Exactly. Something's off. And yeah. so I think it's really sitting down and understanding. I think that's the biggest thing. Right now, you talk about information information's at our fingertips for what we want. Like, yeah. we understand what happened on media takeout. <laughs> we understand what happened yesterday in the NBA game when so-and-so didn't like so-and-so. Yeah. We can Google that and we Google those stories. Google about money. Google about saving. Google, Google all this information is out there. Yeah. And you have the ability and access to, you to, know, to have it, it and to figure it out yourself. Exactly. And was there any mistake that you made either as a rookie or later when you had to take it over once you got divorced was there any mistake that you wish you could go back and change or that you learned a lot from you know i think the i won't say um a mistake but i think like you said when you spoke earlier about taking quick cash yes that's it's the biggest thing yeah. it's so it's right there it's like Oh, and it's easy. I'm just going to take easy. one appearance. Oh, I get that. Exactly. But does it grow who you are? Does it put you in the room with people that you need to be in? Yep. Um, does it grow you as a business person? Yep. And I think that's the biggest thing is in shaping who you are, if you want to be authentic, sometimes it's, it's no. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me is just looking back. I wish that I would have thought more long term. Because it's hard when you're 22, 23 years old. Very hard. Like, you're like, man, 30, 35 is so long away. <laughs> like, so far away. And then I'll look up and it's two years away. Yeah. And so, you know, it's understanding that, you know, building your brand is way more important than taking quick cash. Exactly. Last thing before I, we stop. When you're done playing, mm -hmm. done playing, whenever that is, whenever you decide... What is the dream? What do you like want to do? And has that has that dream changed? And what is it today? So I'm really big on um, heroes, and basically, if you want to be something, if you look hard enough, you'll find it, and you'll find the equation to how to be that. And you know, I'm in LA, so obviously, I've watched Magic Johnson grow his empire. Of course. And you know, I've watched people like a Robin Roberts and Michael Strahan hustle and grind and get to where they're at. And so for me, it's those three that I look to as, you know, I want to be a businesswoman after the fact. Um, I'm launching a production company now, like just trying to think farther ahead. Yep. 
like you guys. <laughs> you. Honestly, no, for real. And it's you. just honestly doing things because I don't know if there's, aside from what Serena is doing now, like I want women in sports to have something after basketball. I don't want people at the airport to come up and be like, you're an athlete, right? Like I want to be like, no, I'm an author, I'm a businesswoman, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm this, I'm that. I, I want to be all those things. And yeah. so I think that's what makes me wake up every day and want to hustle. I think you're gonna do it. Thank you. You can do it, actually. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Needing Dough, the podcast presented by Uninterrupted and Chase. I hope you found something valuable in this conversation that can be adapted to your life and financial goals. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. We appreciate you, our audience, who have been supporting us by listening in and sharing these stories and tips with everyone. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. It's free, it helps others find the show, and that way you never miss an episode. Thanks again to our partners in this show, Chase. Head over to Chase.com to see what Chase has to offer. Our executive producers are myself, T.D. St. Matthew Daniel, and Ben Adair. And I'm Andrew Hawkins, a.k.a. Hawk, telling you what a wise man always told me. A penny saved, a penny earned.